0: You can't go from where we're at today with organizations having our data overnight to coming back into your control, your power. So it's going to take multiple decades for that to shift. If there is a critical mass of us humans that want to own control and consent to how their data is shared with whatever. Technology is transforming how we
1: think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome, IT pros, to another episode of Status Go. Today, we're delving into a concept that's been making waves in the digital world, decentralized identity. Now, if you're like me, you may not be familiar with these concepts. This was something new to me when I met and talked with our guests. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Basically, it's a cutting edge approach to identity, access, and privacy. And it's poised to redefine how we control and protect our digital identities in this hyper-connected world. Now, you might be wondering what's wrong with uh, the way things work today with, uh, and how does it work with other identity solutions and how will this technology change the way identity functions in the digital economy? Well, the truth is traditional centralized identity has its limitations. Enter decentralized identity, a game changer in the realm of digital identity. Think of it as a digital passport that you hold in control, eliminating the need to entrust your sensitive information to third parties. In this episode, we're joined by Jason Gim. Jason is the Director of Product Management at Saviant. He supports the product vision and roadmap for their identity solutions, working closely with customers, partners, internal teams to deliver innovative products that meet the evolving needs of the market. Jason's going to guide us through the fundamental concepts of decentralized identity and verifiable credentials and help us understand how this decentralized paradigm can empower individuals and organizations to take back control of their digital identities. With that, welcome to Status Go, Jason.
0: Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it.
1: I am so looking forward to this conversation, first of all, because I spent uh, several years of my career in a similar role. I was uh, Director of Product Management for uh, InterVision Systems, who hosts this podcast. So uh, I feel like we're a little bit of kindred spirits. Uh, But I was wondering if you would start out by just sharing your career journey, a little bit about your background with our listeners.
0: Yeah, happy to share that, Jeff. Thanks. Yeah, so uh, early in my career started out with, you know, file systems and networking in general um, with a company some might know uh, called Novell. Uh, Uh And, you know, early, uh, I would say late 90s, they came out uh, with our early identity product called DurexML, but that led me on my identity journey throughout the years, uh, led me to manage services, um, moved to New York City. Uh, where I, uh, you know, helped a variety of verticals across finance, manufacturing, and healthcare. Uh, but in the past, you know, uh, decade or two, uh, prior to joining Saviant, I uh, had been uh, concentrating on the healthcare realm. And as I moved, uh, you know, having children and growing up uh, and throughout the country, <clears throat> I realized uh, the medical records that I had everywhere around the world uh, were scattered you know, at different healthcare providers. And I always wondered, oh, I have to go get that physical PHI. I have to own it. But it's really hard to do that. So it made me think, how can a human own all of their personal health records and consent to give that access to the healthcare organizations instead of it being scattered, you know, throughout uh, the different healthcare. So That's what led my passion to decentralized identity, uh, some blockchain technologies, but uh, it's expanded beyond just healthcare because there are applications throughout many different verticals.
1: So you've really been uh, deep into identity management, identity issues, uh, most of your career, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, uh, it's going on 25 plus years now. (laughs) <laughs> um, and with, with everything, you know, uh, our technology evolves. We as humans evolve, um, and identity, uh, digital identity, has evolved as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it really has. You know, uh, there was a time when hey, your social security number was enough, right? And that was kind of the way that you identified yourself. Uh, and then people started using that nefariously. So we have to we have to evolve with with the changes in that. I, I kind of tease this out in the introduction uh, a little bit, but we've had identity management systems now for several years. What are some of the challenges that you see with those traditional approaches to identity?
0: Yeah, so we really concentrate on why identity was born uh, to secure and govern. Uh, typically, it was for organizations uh, to have their employees uh govern and secure their access to the applications that that organization uses. Um, And we all know the story of Enron and, you know, uh, having toxic combinations leading to internal fraud and and the regulations that that's led to. But if you think about what we see today with the consumer identity, uh, it's the organizations that still own that data. Uh, You know, that, that identity data is the new oil because it's being mined to advertise if uh, targeted towards you uh, so you know, and there's some security concerns with those organizations uh, owning that data so there's this uh, millennial shift of hey I want to own my personal identifiable information and decide who I share it with um, there's two problems with that um, that you know it is going to take that time uh, to overcome yeah. that is a critical mass of individuals wanting to own their own identity instead of it's so easy for others to mine that information for you and then provide services for free, right? Yeah. You mentioned Gmail. I mean, we all, a lot of people use Gmail because it's free, um, right. but they're learning uh, about you through that system. Yep. That's right. The, 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 the
1: adage is uh, if it's free, uh, you're not the customer, you're the product.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, and the the other thing that strikes me in in this is, um, as a as a consumer, I I don't own today my my digital identity, and we're going to talk more about what that means. Um, and I've kind of given it to other people to manage, and I don't even know who, in many cases, they've given it to. Uh, I got uh, my wife and I both got letters uh, from a large insurance company who will remain nameless, uh, about a breach that they've had. Uh, but it was really a third party of a third party that got breached, and they had my data. And it's like, well, how did they even get that? So it has become convoluted. So what is this concept of decentralized identity? What What is that, Jason?
0: Yeah, so think about uh, the the relationship uh, through the years has been that organization relationship to uh, an identity. Um, If you flip that script and the relationship becomes the user is in charge of the central hub with a device, with a car, with a retailer, with an employer, with a contractor. So that's one way to look at decentralized identity is it's not the organization that's the hub of all of the access. It's the user first, and what relationships do they have with a variety of things within this world, um, on that digital plane, right? Um, and in the consumer market, also, you think about when you join an organization, there's background checks, and what is that doing? It's verifying the person is who they are, and uh, you know they haven't done bad deeds that would yeah. make uh, you know higher insurance rates for that employer and uh, higher risk categories, um, and, and so. When this, um, you know, the market had went through a tech layoff, you know, the past year, I saw something, and it was it was somebody that was applying for all of these different jobs, and they had to re-enter this data multiple times every time they submitted a a job application, and the amount of lack of efficiency and the time that takes that individual to manually do the data entry. Think if you had a verifiable credential, and we can get into what levels of assurance? Who's verifying it? Is our government? Is it, you know, a third-party security vendor? Uh, is it both? And that goes back to the level of insur- uh, assurance. But if you have that that uh, that wallet, if you will, that that bundle that is accepted anywhere you go, then you don't have to worry about the inefficiency of time to enter manually your data in that specific scenario. Uh, so that's the the business side. You, you look at the consumer side. Um, I have a a whole litany of identity data about myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do I want to share and with whom? Maybe I have a trusted relationship with one of my favorite retailers and pairs of jeans. So I'm going to give them information about myself, and they're going to give me discounts. Um, And I can control what part of that verifiable credential I share with that particular retailer. So there's a lot of different uh, approaches and use cases uh, and I have a few more to share as well, but we'll I'll pause there for now.
1: No I, I, I like that. I, I especially like your your use case uh, about the uh, applying to jobs, right because it is it is so frustrating. Uh, you even upload your resume and then many times have to retype the data that's on the resume that you just uploaded. Uh, and uh, uh, the concept of having a digital wallet maybe on my phone that's got that information and, okay, send employment information to XYZ Corporation because I'm applying for a job. That's, that, sounds, that sounds pretty nice, uh, actually, to, for anybody that's been through that. Let's, let's dig underneath the covers a little bit. How does decentralized identity work? Uh, what's the technology behind it? The verifiable credentials that you're talking about.
0: So it is uh, uh, evolving rapidly. Uh, you know, I say decentralized identity has been around in some form or another. I mean, I'll just go back to the Novell days. There was a thing called Digital Me back in the late '90s. Uh, I don't think the the world, the market was ready for it yet. Um, but you know, it, it's evolved because I think. Some of the, the millennials, the younger, are, they want to control their data, right? Um, because of breaches that you see uh, across mm-hmm. the realm. And they're worried that, you know, I, I, I saw a stat, I forgot where, that there's over, every person has over a thousand identities, digital identities, throughout the, you know, the ecosphere, the, the internet. Um, and they don't know where they are, like yeah. said, who they're being shared with. Uh, So the technology to enable this is rapidly evolving. It's, you know, there's some ideologists that say, oh, it should be blockchain. There's those that say, oh, it should be self-sovereign identity with, you know, a wallet, and that's what it is. Uh, But then there's so many wallets. I mean, we all have them on our phones nowadays. They're exploding as well. Um, And so it's like, well, hold on. Decentralized identity, you want that explosion because you don't want it to be centralized in one wallet. But uh, from a consumer level, if there's three, four, five, 100 different wallets where my identity lives. Well then we're back to the same problem of it just identity proliferating throughout those wallets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if if I'm if I'm sharing my my digital information, I assume the other side of it, maybe this is not a great assumption, the other side of it is I can turn that off, right? If I no longer want to share that information.
0: One of the core tenets of decentralized identity is that the user themselves is in control of what they consent about themselves and who it's being shared with, not with uh, the control being in the organization's power, uh, you know, by having to write to them in a cryptic, you know, snail mail letter that they must uh, write to forget and and that exists in the the EU with GDPR.
1: Yeah, GDPR, yeah. Uh,
0: But that's not a global regulation. Um, not all companies have to abide by uh, regulations that don't apply to them. So uh, if you don't know where your identity lives, then how do you know who to contact to have them forget you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I know we, ha- we haven't really touched on this, but how do we get from this scattered identity uh, all over the place that where we are today. How do we get to that? How, how do we get to decentralized identity where I'm controlling it?
0: So one, it requires, again, the the, the human, um, the carbon-based life form to accept uh, that they are in control and they need to be in control of their data. Uh, it is so easy for us to allow others to control our data, uh, and then you get services for that. Uh, But Mm -hmm. that's where the misuse can come into play. So first, it's the onus of, we have to uh, want to own and -hmm. control. uh, And the management of that data can be somewhat time consuming. Uh, If there's multiple relationships, you're determining, you know, should they have it still? Should they take it away? So that's number one. Uh, Number two, you can't go from where we're at today with organizations having our data um, overnight, to them it yeah. all be you know coming back into your control your power so it's going to take multiple decades for that to shift if there's a critical mass of us humans that want to own control and consent to how their data is shared with whatever i mean it could be how is our data shared with our self driving cars in the future oh um, yeah yeah a self driving car goes through a toll booth uh, how does the the state with that toll booth know who the owner of that car is or who's the driver? They may not own it, but who's the driver driving the car? Um, you know, and, and so that linkage, that relationship, in order to have self driving cars, you must share something about yourself being in that driver's seat or in that uh, passenger, or not in passenger, but the driver's seat. Yeah. Uh, so that's just another, and that goes back to the monetization, the liability. Uh, of these models uh, going forward,
1: this is in, incredibly complex. Um, to to as as I just sit here and imagine all of these different pieces and parts that are that are coming together. Um, who are there? Are there organizations that are trying to do this today? Is someone using this concept today? Uh, you talked about you had some other use cases. Uh, where do you see this? going or, or being right now?
0: Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, and primarily it's where it's in the consumer market. So we see retailers uh, looking at how they can monetize this model uh, for uh, loyalty programs uh, that mm-hmm. provide even deeper discounts than what they would be getting today. Um, and that brand loyalty, keeping them. Um, the other use cases that I see, you know, outside of that consumer world is you think about uh, supply chain um, and vendor management. So every organization um, does business with other businesses, you know, B2B uh, uh, relationships. Whether, you know, we don't have a workforce that's all employees. There's contractors, there's students, um, you know, you can call them a lot of different things, non-employees. So when you are in that model, which exists today, how do you trust the employee of a vendor you're doing business with that has access to your suite of applications well today it's you know identity proofing solutions there's plenty of them out there you know and the, the cutting edge of identity proofing is hold your phone up and take a picture of your driver's license and that you know proves but there's so many flaws with some of these methods if you had an assured verifiable credential that was guaranteed to be who you are, that mm-hmm. your vendor that you do business with and their employees can share with your organization to give access to, you know, the, uh, applications. So our example is like, um, uh, inventory management, uh, in the healthcare realm where you have durable goods that's provided by somebody that, you know, obviously you're not the business of providing durable goods. You're in the business of providing healthcare, good healthcare. Yeah, that vendor might have access to your physical system, your inventory, but they don't. They don't work for you. They're not employee. So how do you verify Jeff is Jeff working Mm -hmm. for this business partner that can look in my inventory, my durable goods, to make sure you order enough mass when that healthcare provider gets low on inventory? Yeah. So in that world of B two B is where I see it shifting from more of a consumer to that. that extended workforce uh, within those uh, uh, external identity, uh, you know, use cases.
1: Yeah, the, the, what, what came to mind as you were talking about that, Jason, is um, the, the concept of a global entry number now with TSA and, and and all that. Uh, And, uh, you know, I now have this global number uh, that all the airlines recognize, uh, hopefully a lot of the, airports recognize and I can just use that and they know who I am to some assurance. Is that, is that at a really high level, kind of the thing we're talking about?
0: Uh, yes and no. Uh, okay. Who owns that global identifier? I mean, so uh, you know, pre TSA, that's an American, uh, you know, uh, construct uh-huh. uh, and you have clear. Um, and I don't know, honestly, if clear is global or not, but again, it lives with a government, or it lives with a uh, a service provider. Clear in mm-hmm. the that global identifier, the the human us humans don't own it. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, I mean you want to have a global identifier um, for all you know identities on this earth, human and non-human, um, but because of regulations, competing countries. Um, you know, I, I would highly doubt North Korea would ever accept a United States. verified. <laughs> pro-
1: pro- probably not.
0: And, and I guess uh, part,
1: part of what plays into this is, um, a- again, using the global entry number as an example, if wrong information got associated with my global entry number, I don't have the ability to fix it. I've got to go to the government and to a government agency and say, Hey, that Jeff Tun that just robbed a bank is not the is not me, right? And you've got this crime associated with the wrong thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then this goes back to the, the concept of who has assured the verifiable credential. Yeah. Uh, and there can be multiple layers of that. It could be the United States government, it could be, you know, Germany, it could be a private organization. Um, so w- and the evolution of that assurance model which is still not 100% in place you know when you get to that point where you can say i want to have multiple verifiers of who i am in that you know uh, digital wallet uh, and that the level of assurance i mean if you think about um, our classification you know of sensitive documents um, you know there's multiple classifications yeah. of the documents so that's the level of assurance on who should have access um, to those different classification of documents. I,
1: I love that that analogy of, of linking it to uh, the classification of documents because that that helps uh, me visualize that here's my identity and here's here's some information that hey I'm gonna I'm gonna share with uh, with uh, Cole's department store. Uh, but they're not getting this health information that I'm sharing with uh, my healthcare provider. A lot of our listeners, Jason, as you know, are information technology professionals, uh, usually in leadership positions, but not always. What's what's in it for them? Why should they be interested in this concept of decentralized identity?
0: Yeah, so for any organization that uh, is looking for a digital identity transformation for their consumers, um, you know the the current trend has been for them to collect all of the data. Um, if they find out that their consumer base doesn't want to share or allow them to collect data about them, and maybe maybe be collecting data about them even without them knowing, you know that's yeah. how advertising works. Um, but if organizations want to build a loyalty program where they reverse the model and say, we can give you deeper discounts uh, for the product that you like, and you are in control of when and where and how you share the data with us. And that keeps those uh, organizations, those retailers honest, uh, because if they uh, have bad service or they misuse that trust uh, that that customer has given them, then the customer can turn it off. Yeah. So it's a decision <clears throat> for retailers, you know, the consumer market. Uh, but absolutely, I see it shifting from that B2C space into that B2B space uh, as organizations are looking to secure those third party identities uh, that are external to their HR systems, mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that uh, individuals they do business with uh, are who they say they are. Um, so that they can determine the right level of access into the organization's application suites.
1: Well, and I was talking earlier this week with Brian Jackson of Infotech Research. And uh, to our listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's, uh, we're talking about the 2024 trends report. And first of all, let me say, I can't believe we're talking about 2024 already. Uh, it seems like yesterday we were doing predictions for 2023. But one of the things that Brian identifies in that report as a trend for information technology leaders, CIOs, CTOs, to be cognizant of is this concept of data sovereignty. Um, And on some layers, is that part of what we're talking about, Jason? Data sovereignty?
0: Yeah, Um, you think about um, where the person uh, lives, So the data must stay on the soil in which they live. So if we're talking about somebody's identity, well, we don't always live in the same place as humans, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: We we move within different States in the United States, but we also move across the globe. Uh, You know, I had to uh, make a trip to Singapore a month ago and in order to enter, I had to fill out their identity wallet uh, Uh and information about myself. Uh, So if, if you have to fill that out for every country you visit, it goes back to the job application scenario. Yeah, I'm entering yeah. the same data and I could you know mess it up. Uh, so how can you a global citizen uh, be mobile throughout this world and not have to go through the inefficiency of proving over and over and over who they are?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you mentioned uh, supply chain and and people that are. Not in your HRIS system that are interacting with your business. Let's let's look at the "what's in it for me" concept from the perspective of the supplier. So you mentioned, I, I think your example in healthcare were the uh, the masks, uh, and my inventory was getting low. As a mask provider, why should I care about decentralized identity? How does it help me?
0: Yeah, so if you're a provider of, you know, in that scenario, and you have the ability to assure the business you're doing business with that your house is in order and secure, and your own employees are vetted and have those background checks, uh, and that a level of assurance can be easily provided to the businesses you're doing, then you're attractive to every healthcare organization because you're yeah. easier to do business with.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it starts to you start looking at some of the compliance frameworks and uh, the way the way a lot of those work, right? is they push the risk down, uh, and uh, this is a way to say, "Hey, I'm 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 risk worthy. Um, I, I've done my due diligence, and so maybe you should do business with me." And maybe there's financial incentive, or maybe it's just the incentive that hey, I get approved to to provide information. You talked earlier about the need for uh, to really get this uh, idea to catch hold. It's going to take you and I and everybody to say, yes, I want to do this. It seems like we're in this age, especially when you look at the data that social media collects on us and you know, our kids, uh, we were always afraid about using some of this technology and our kids are like, uh, you know, who cares? How do you, why, why should individuals care uh, about this concept and and why should they buy into the concept of decentralized identity?
0: So looking at human behavior, uh, I would say that the number one driver to get humans to change behavior is what's, it, what's in it for them? Mm-hmm. Uh, how is it financially uh, you know, incentivized for them? Uh, are they getting goods at a cheaper price? Uh, you know, doing business uh, with, uh, with a company that uh, your information doesn't leak out, um, I don't think it's as big of an incentive as financial incentives incentive, for yeah. individuals. So there has to be a financial incentive that's greater than what exists today for us to make yeah. that choice, we're going to control our identity, digital identity, and who has access to what parts of it. Yeah.
1: this reminds me of a, a, there's a telecom company or or used to be. I haven't even looked them up recently in France, uh, Orange, uh, and they were they were experimenting with um, uh, if if I signed up for their program and gave them permission and you're a friend of mine, Jason, and you sign up, or I get you to sign up, then whenever I call you, instead of a ringtone, uh, um, you're hearing an ad, right? So they're selling advertising this way. And for that, we both get a reduced rate on our cell phone bill. Now, I realize that's kind of the marketing side, but that's, you've talked about financial incentives. That's kind of the thing you're talking about, right? Is that I get a I sign up and I say, here's my digital identity. Now I want a discount.
0: Yeah. In the consumer space, absolutely. Uh, in the, the B2B space, it's all about, is that company um, less risky to do business with? Uh, so again, it goes back to, and it's always the bottom line. If that third party, um, somehow uh, that employee leaves, but still has access and I'm not aware of it, my my applications and it leaks PHI, I now have a regulatory obligation to report that breach from that third party. And, you know, there's finger pointing going on there, but your brand is tarnished in those cases. How much that is yet to be seen, how big was the breach? Who did it affect? Are those consumers concerned about the breach? Are they aware of it? You know, so it it all comes back to the bottom line, whether it's consumer or that business to business uh, use case, what's it mean for the financial incentives uh, and the risk appetite uh, for the consumer or the third parties?
1: It it really comes down to those two things a a lot, doesn't it? The the financial incentive and the risk appetite, um, balancing between those two. Well, as you know, here on Status Go, we are all about action and uh, hopefully I warned you about this, Jason. If not, uh, I'll beg forgiveness. Um, I would love for you to share with our listeners what are one or two things they should go do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today.
0: Well, one, uh, you know, try to inventory where you think all of your identities are. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Uh, and that is a very time consuming effort uh, in this uh, age where we're all very busy with our lives. Um, you know, what's the risk of uh, not doing that? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I there's some help in there. You know, you have passwords that get saved and that'll tell you, hey, that's not very secure or it's it's we, we now know it's part of a breach, so go change it. But yeah, the inventory of your identities, if you really want to get into it, is one. Uh, if you're a, a an organization doing business with third parties and they have access to your applications, um, think about, the relationship with those third parties, with those organizations, uh, make sure that there's one person on each side of that B2B relationship and have that conversation about, hey, how do we make sure that your employees um, are still employed? Uh, they are who they say they are. Uh, and you have a risk policy uh, and control policy that you can share with us. So we know that we're doing business with um, you know somebody who's Uh, taking care of the digital identity risk that would be subject to us. I I love those two
1: actions. And, you know, I think on the consumer side, a place uh, for me to start, I was thinking, I was personalizing this is, uh, you know, I've got a password uh, vault uh, that I use. That's at least identified a couple hundred people that have my identity in some way, shape, or form. Maybe I start there and find out what information they have about me, uh, and then the the B two B. I think that's a that's a great step, especially as you're as maybe you're going through a compliance cycle um, or even a procurement cycle where, where you're renewing contracts. That's kind of the time to reach out and maybe solidify some of those things.
0: The 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 relationship is best when you have procurement and your contracting uh, involved. Uh, When those are being renewed, it's an absolute gem uh, of an idea there, Jeff.
1: Yeah, it's incentive, right? (laughs) You've got some. Well, Jason, I want to thank you for taking the time to uh, sit down and talk with us today. This, as I mentioned at the outset, this was a brand new concept to me. It's something that that I've been thinking about personally and, and where my data is and all those things, but didn't really know that there was a, I'll call it a field of study where people like yourself uh, are engaged in this, trying to figure out this very complex problem. Thank you for carving out time to talk with us.
0: Greatly appreciate the opportunity, uh, Jeff. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, Maybe we have you back on in a few months and see how things have have progressed. Uh, That would be an interesting follow-up conversation.
0: It absolutely would be.
1: To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, be sure to visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. We'll have have Jason's contact information. We'll have a link to Savient if you want to check out some of uh, what they're doing in uh, uh, the identity space. This is Jeff Tunn for Jason Gim. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.